Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It's been three games since we last spoke to you. Three wins, three goals in all. And the three of us are back together again after James's little holiday. James, Max, thanks for joining me. How are you doing, guys? Feels like I've been away for an eternity. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good to be back. I am very happy to be here as per usual, expecting quality content as per usual. So, yeah, let's get cracking. So, as I say, there's been three Liverpool games since since we last spoke to all three victories um, in the Champions League, Premier League and League Cup. We're not going to go into every single game one by one because we'll be here forever. Um, But just as a bit of an overview in the last three fixtures, I guess the kind of standout thing to discuss is how the squad depth has looked because there's been quite a bit of rotation in those games. The Crystal Palace match, for example, we didn't have Trent Alexander-Arnold or Andy Robertson. We've seen James Milner come in. We've seen Divock Origi start um, a couple of matches. A lot of was made about Liverpool's squad depth going into the season, whether it would stack up against the likes of Chelsea, Man City, etc. How do you think they've done? They seem to, you know, done all right, haven't they? I mean, to be honest, you can't really complain with them. Um, I mean, I did nearly crash my car when my partner read the team lineup whilst we were on holiday, and I saw James got told James Milner was playing it right back against Crystal Palace. But uh, I mean. You know, what can you say about the guy? You can seamlessly play anywhere. We'll put a nine out of 10 shift in. But yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk, especially from the neutrals and especially by people in, you know, high up in the media where they've talked about Liverpool's squad depth. And that could be a Liverpool's Achilles heel if players do get injured. Um, but to be honest, I, I can't really criticise anyone who's come in. Um, even Origi in the AC Milan game and against Norwich. Listen, I've given the guy enough stick you know, over the last 18 months or so. But, you know, his work rate, especially against AC Milan and his willingness to run and to, to be the guy to hold the ball up and play everyone else in, really impressed me. And if you'd have told me that by the end of a Champions League game against AC Milan, we'd have Curtis Jones, Oxley chamberlain and Sadio Mane as the front three, I don't think I would have believed you. But, you know, fair play to the lads who come in and it's just a testament to Klopp to be able to put the arm around the guys on the training grounds and say, you know, you're not going to start every game, but going to be a point where you're going to come into the starting eleven, and you're going to come off from the bench and the team needs you more than ever. I think, yeah, it's... I think the argument about squad depth is these guys have played quite well in a couple of games, but I don't particularly want to be relying on Divock Origi for, you know, 10 games in a row if one of the... Um, if two of the front three get injured. Um, that's when we'll have more of an issue. Uh, but yeah, I think the depth options have done really well. I think Curtis Jones has looked fantastic whenever he's played. Joe Gomez had two really good outings. Um, I think there's, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, a lot more hope from me in terms of our depth. Takumi Minamino is looking very good um, uh, from his um, performance against Norwich. Even though, to be fair, that is against Norwich reserves, basically. So it's a not really the sort of performance you can base um, opinion on, but he, lo- he looked good. Um, also, Chamberlain hasn't looked particularly sharp. Um, he looked good in preseason, but he doesn't seem to have come on too well when he has played this season. But, yeah, I mean, our depth isn't 
once again, shades of grey in football. Yes, our depth is not as good as Manchester City, Manchester United or Chelsea's. However, it's not complete arse either, as a lot of people would have you believe. Yeah, and I think we have to give those guys their props when it's due. Origi's one who's had a lot of stick, particularly over the last few months. People saying, oh, he's got no ambition because he's not, you know, he's, he's happy to be on the bench at Liverpool rather than going out and getting game time elsewhere. But it's been a difficult market in terms of the pandemic and, and clubs away from the elite teams haven't been able to, you know, probably offer teams like Liverpool the sums of money that, that, that they want. It's probably partly Liverpool's fault for having a too high valuation on him. I don't think a single actual offer came in for Origi during the summer of reports to be believed. So that shows you just how difficult it's been. Um, let's ha- have a little bit of love for James Milner because like James says, I think all of us were a little bit worried when we saw him playing right back up against Wilf Zahar against Palace on the weekend. But he, he was pretty fantastic, wasn't he? Um, you, you run out of words to describe James Milner. It's underappreciated, workhorse. You can't, you can't describe him. So we signed him on a free transfer. And for him to, you know, he's coming to the end of the twilight of his career. And he's, he's happy enough to be a squad player. And, and some players, when they are squad players, they come in and sometimes they don't put the effort in in order to make a statement to the manager that they want to play more regular. But, he, he just doesn't care. He's, he's like a Labrador. He's just happy, in, you know, to be on the pitch, to run around and, you know, I really can't fault him. He's played, you know, you lose track of positions he's played in his career. I know he's played centre-forward for City at one point. He's played left-back and right-back now for Liverpool. He's played right-wing, left-wing for Villa. Um, he just seems to be a guy that, you know, a manager can call upon and say, listen, you're going to play in this position. And like I said earlier, you're going to get an 8 or a 9 out of 10 out of him every week. He's not the most creative player. He's not the most flamboyant player, but he does the basics well. He's a tough tackler. He can pick out a pass and he, he can manage a game well. You know, we go back to when Liverpool were challenging for the title and we just missed out against Manchester City. The amount of times Liverpool have got 1-0 up or 1-0 down and bring Milner on to manage the game and to get the you know the team ticking again. I think he's, um, to have him in and around the squad, I think he's been unbelievable for the club. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, he was great against um, Palace playing at right back. He's, I mean, he obviously served very well at left back before. I think one of my favourite things about Milner, and I know that City cop a lot of hate for this, but the way that City stop a lot of attacks is just by taking out the person who's running in to attack them. And against AC Milan in particular, I think their second goal could have been prevented by Fabinho just copping the yellow card and dragging down Rafael Leal before he got um, before he got away from him, and I think sometimes our team can be a bit nice. Can like I don't think Klopp likes that sort of thing, but sometimes it's just necessary. And the one player in our team who is always ready to just take someone out when they're about to go on the counter attack is James Milner, and having someone like that to come on at the end of games and just slow play down with fouls and stuff like that, if necessary, is absolutely huge. And I know it's not the dumb thing to be talking about this sort of stuff, but Fernandinho is an absolute genius with, with how he does it. How he gets away with some of the tackles that he does and doesn't get yellows is incredible. But a lot of City's success is owed to him just breaking up counter-attacks, whether it's by just hacking the person down or winning the ball. And Milner, I think, understands that as well. 
And to have that level of experience and nous that can come in in so many different positions. I think in his career, I've seen him play every outfield position except centre back. I remember there was a period when City lost all their strikers to injury and Milner played as false nine. And he did really well there. He's just he's just the biggest case of jack of all trades in football I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think one of the things about Milner is he's, a, he's such a leader on the pitch as well. You can see the way that he kind of, you know, the classic fucking El Costas in the preseason front of you, that, that kind of motiv- motivation factor, pulling people into position, you know, forcing them to be in the right place at the right time, particularly with the younger players. I think that's invaluable. And just before we move on, have you guys seen the interview today that has been done with Ragnar Klavan about James Milner? Yeah, I've seen it, but he went head to head with Jurgen Klopp and people are trying to work out which game it was at. Apparently yeah. it's the, the 2-2 at Sunderland just after Christmas. Yeah, apparently, uh, if, if no one who's listening has heard it, Ragnar Klavan's done an interview today saying that Milner and Klopp nearly had a fight at half-time <laughs> during a game just after Christmas. And yeah, the, in that game that James references there, I think Milner was substituted at half-time for Alberto Moreno. And I think it's just quite an amusing imagery, isn't it? Seen, imagining Klopp and Milner having a fight in the dressing room, almost having a fight in the dressing room. I, it, like, Klopp's a big guy. Like, you know, I, th- I think he would be... Someone you wouldn't want to go up against, but then you think about the fact that James Milner, I'm fairly sure, is just an action man puppet that's come to life. Um, <laughs> and the guy's made of concrete. Like, can you imagine like what it would feel like punching him in the face? Your hand would just shatter on that jaw. <laughs> well, I think from the story from Clavin, I think it's Milner that backed down from Klopp. So Klopp was Klopp was ready Klopp was to ready. go, and it's it's Milner who's back down. <laughs> Oh, that's just classic Klopp, isn't it, with his emotions? Um... <laughs> He's not going to be able to bring that story back to Yorkshire now. They're not going to let him back in. <laughs> He's back down from a fight. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was quite uh, quite a funny thing to mention that as we were on the topic of Milner. But going back to you know players who, over the last few seasons, have really established themselves as legends at the club. We've spoke about the fringe players a little bit already. I think this last, you know, three games that we've just had has really shown the qualities of, if we, not that we need them to be shown to us, but Mo Salah once again. How many times do I just say to you guys, just talk to me about Mo Salah? And that's what I'm going to do now. James, just talk to me about Mo Salah. I, the disrespect he gets from fans in the Premier League who aren't Liverpool fans is, it's unbelievable. I mean, I was walking home from work, obviously, before we start the podcast. And I saw a stat saying that Salah is only four goals behind Didier Drogba and he's 91 games behind him. So everyone seems to have this story about him. You can't compare him to Ronaldo because he's an inside forward and Ronaldo played the left or the right of a midfield for this. And the guy has consistently scored 20 goals plus for a team that, doesn't get a lot of penalties as much as what neutral fans will say. Liverpool don't get penalties that often. So you can't say a big chunk of his goals have come from yeah. penalties. So he doesn't take free kicks. So you can't say, you know, he's scoring five, six, seven goals a season from you know, from dead uh, dead ball situations. He's just, he just knows where to be. Yes, he can be frustrating at times where he doesn't look up and he doesn't play the ball. But you're willing to overlook that for just the amount of goals and the work rate. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, especially neutral fans, say that Salah just stays on the halfway line, doesn't track back. But against AC Milan, 
it when Liverpool were chasing the third goal. He was play, He was covering the right back position <laughs> at the yeah. times, and winning the ball and bringing the ball forward. So, listen, I, I think he could possibly go down in Liverpool's top five greatest ever signings. Um, obviously, you're thinking of like Daglish and Sunez and players of that of that yeah. you know elk and quality. But for someone who is a winger to consistently score twenty plus goals a season. In the Champions League, he's consistently scoring goals. In every competition, he's consistently scoring goals, not taking penalties. Um, and let's be honest, if Ed, if Eden Hazard is classed as a Premier League great, you've got to put Mo Salah way above him. Yeah, I mean, Mo Salah is a, he's a freak of nature, really. hes um, I've never seen a, a winger quite of his profile before. Like, you know, obviously we've seen wingers score similar amounts of goals. Like, you know... Mm-hmm like Leo Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, etc. But we're talking about the very, very, very best of that position. Um, and I haven't seen, like, even Messi, who Salah has been compared to, just in the fact both small, strong guys, low centre of gravity, you know, left-footed, cutting in and all that. But Salah's, his movement is just amazing. Like, his ability to pick up space in the box. But also the fact that he can score every type of goal, like whether it's a two-yard tap-in or a 30-yard screamer like he um, like he scored against Chelsea. The guy can score every type of goal, and that is such yeah. a rare quality. Like so often you'll – you think of Rom, um, Roman Van Persie. Sorry, he's another one who can score every type of goal. I actually met Ruth Van Nistelrooy, another Dutch striker. Brilliant, brilliant goal scorer. Um, but – you never knew him to score pretty much any other type of goal than a, yeah, that's right. you know, a penalty box strike. His movement was incredible, but having that level of versatility as a forward to score those different types of goals is just such a massive bonus. Um, and he's he's also got the mark of everyone knows that he wants to go on his left. Everyone knows he wants to go on his left in the same way that everyone knew that Arjen Robin wanted to go onto his left foot. And yet it's virtually impossible to stop him. And that is the mark of a truly great player is when everyone knows what you want to do, but they still can't stop you. Yeah, I think as well, going back to what James was saying about him going down as one of the greatest players to ever play for the club, sort of interview a piece of TV recently where Jamie Carragher was saying, if you pick your Liverpool best ever 11, for example, as countless people do on social media and on stuff all the time. You go through the different positions, you probably think, you, you know, you've got Gerard in midfield, you have Ian Rush up front, Alan Hansen at the back. Liverpool's right-hand side is always like a question mark area, but Mo Salah, you know, on that right wing, he probably, that's going to be his spot for years to come when people discuss Liverpool's best ever team or best ever players, I think, in 10 years 15, 20 years from now, whatever it may be, we'll be thinking, yeah, he was, Mo Salah really was one of the best we've ever seen, isn't he? So fingers crossed that contract gets sorted out. I'm sure it will. Um, but I think all of us will be a little bit nervous just until we see the confirmation. Um, another player who I just want to highlight a little bit, just because we don't always talk about goalkeepers, is obviously Alison, Alison Becker against Crystal Palace particularly. It wasn't obviously the game was 3 0 in the end, but it was that did not tell the whole story. I think Palace played really, really well. And there was a couple of moments where Allison, you know, had to make a couple of quick 
saves and, you know, it's quick thinking got us out of trouble once or twice. How big of an impact does it have when you just know you've got a keeper like him behind your back four? We've talked about how relaxing Virgil van Dijk's presence can be, or maybe relaxing is the wrong word, but kind of settling Virgil van Dijk's presence can be. I think you've got to say the same for Alisson, haven't you? Yeah. Again, could go down as one of the club's, you know, Greatest signings, I know he was a big transfer fee, but in terms of how you transform, uh, transform a team and a club, it's it's completely different. Um, I mean, how many times, you know, have us two and, you know, Liverpool fans around the world seen really good Liverpool teams, but then you've looked at the goalkeeper and gone, ah, Jersey Dudek, probably not the greatest pair of hands. Chris Kirtland, not the greatest pair of hands. Pepe Reina was prone to an error. Seema Mignolet, Adam Bogdan, let's not talk about them too, but you want someone who just breathes confidence in a team. And I feel like that's what Liverpool have got now. So the midfield, I've got confidence in the front three that they'll press and win the ball back. You know, when the defence have got confidence in the midfield that they'll press and win the ball back. And the defence have got confidence that Alisson's behind them and he's got confidence knowing that they're in front of him. Just the harmony in the team is just, it's, you know, it's it's brilliant to watch and it's, it's what we've all wanted for years. And, I think the thing is with Allison is some of his biggest saves have been absolutely huge for for the club. I mean, you look at the save against Napoli. If he doesn't save that, we're out. We're in the Europa League. We don't win the Champions League that year. And I think it was the save. Um, Wilfred Zaha just knocked it over him. And he's. I think he was a bit hesitant coming out. And then he's had to run behind him and flick the ball around for a corner. And, you know, we know what he did against West Brom. But, yeah, he's just... A brilliant goalkeeper. He's brilliant with his distribution. Um, and I've never, you know, as a Liverpool fan, been confident when a player goes through one-on-one and go, we've got a 50% chance of saving this or Alisson's got a good chance of saving this. But when he's just outstretched and he's able to get down to his left, to his right, or tip balls over the bar, and yeah, he's, he's a very special goalkeeper. And, you know, it's obviously, I, I believe he's the best in the Premier League, but I think if you've got a goalkeeper who can save you nine, 12 points a season, obviously it puts you near the top and it gives you a great chance of winning it. I think um, the way that I think of Alisson is when you talk about the other great keepers that are playing at the moment, you think about um, you think about Edison. Edison, all anyone talks about, and quite rightly so, is how incredible he is at distributing the ball. His yeah. passing is phenomenal. However... As we will have seen, the guy makes mistakes. He's he one on ones, particularly long range one on ones. When someone's coming for a while, he makes mistakes. You think of Jan Oblak, best shot stopper in football. I I don't think there's any debate over that. But you know, not the best with his feet. His distribution's a, a little bit lacking. Allison, there's no there's no conjecture over him. There's no but over Allison. He is just brilliant at everything. He's not as good at the best in the world at some elements. Like Jan Oblak, I would say, is a better shot stopper. I'd say Edison is better with his feet. Uh, Manuel Neuer might be, you know, more commanding at the back. But he is a 9 out of 10 at everything rather than a 10 at some things and an 8 at others. And with a goalkeeper, I think that that is almost more desirable because you want to be able to trust him in whatever situation is coming, that you know he will do a very good job in that situation. Even if he's not the best in the world at it, 
And that is why I think he is the best goalkeeper in the world, weirdly, is the fact that he might not be the best at certain things, but when you add the whole package together, I mean, bar a, what, two-month period where he didn't have a great time last year, um, and that was around the death of his father, which is perfectly understandable, he has been world-class consistently for Liverpool. Like, Champions League final, the biggest night of his career, and he, he, he had a man-of-the-match performance. Incredible save from Christian Eriksen's free kick late on in the game. The guy is just so cool under pressure. And he delivers for Liverpool when they need him most. And, yeah, I just I still can't believe that he's the goalkeeper of our club. Yeah, it's so amazing to see him signing that new long-term contract as well. Because I think he genuinely... I know it's easy to say as fans, but I really think he really loves and gets Liverpool as a club, as a city, as a institution. I think, like all of them do, to be fair, like Klopp's just bred this kind of air of togetherness and everyone's pulling in the same direction. There's no egos. And Alisson is just an epitome of all those things. He's just such a, a lovable guy off the pitch, as well as being like Max and James, you've both said, probably the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, if not the world. Um, before we move on to looking ahead, just a little word on the Carabao Cup win against Norwich. Obviously, that puts Liverpool through to the next round, despite what Jurgen Klopp may want, <laughs> as we always joke, that he hopes that we'll get knocked out in these cup competitions. But should we, you know, maybe take the Cups a bit more seriously? The next round we've got Preston North End away from home so a championship tie you'd imagine we'd see a similar 11 that we saw against Norwich and the kids that did play for Liverpool you know Kyde Gordon Connor Bradley Tyler Morton came on I thought they all you know conducted themselves really well and Gordon looked quite exciting thought Bradley was a bit unlucky to concede the penalty it probably was a penalty but you know it was one of those and Kelleher makes a penalty save as well he's, he's, he's another one um the longer we're in these cup competitions, the more we get to see these guys. So do you think, you know, maybe we should give it more of a go than we maybe have done so far on Klopp's, Klopp's tenure? I, I think this is probably the most perfect time if there is a way of going on a cup run in this competition because obviously you see Man United crash out. Um, you know, Arsenal have got Leeds, so that's another Premier League side going out. West Ham have got City, that's another Premier League side going out. So, there is a chance of this side maybe going to a quarterfinals before you've sort of got to bring your, your bigger plays into it to make sure obviously you can get to the final. Um, but yeah, again, as we alluded to before, the, the squad depth that's come in, you know, Minamino, you know, just looks like he's put, you know, the last couple of months of his Liverpool career behind him and that spell at Southampton, that probably didn't go as well as what everybody wanted it to. It started off well, um, but sort of to, started to fade out so you know like you said then Kelleher you know his Klopp's put the faith in him to be Liverpool's new number two and he didn't just make a save he made a Rabona save um, if you watch the replay closely um, but out of the youngsters that played I think the one that impressed me the most was probably Morton um, I think as a young player especially coming off the bench you know Kai Gordon and and obviously Bradley playing at right back started through the game so they're going to get more touch of the ball they're going to get a feel of the game but a youngster coming off the bench sometimes might just get the ball pass it straight away or just try and avoid getting the ball and just wants to get through the 
the couple of minutes and you know not put a foot wrong. But you know the senior players in the team, Gomez and, and Canate, and the midfielders playing alongside him were happy enough to give him the ball and let him distribute it from that deep you know line midfield position. And I think it's you know you need to congratulate and acknowledge what what's happening at the academy at the moment. I don't think. So apart from the early 2000s, you know, and, and the late 90s, where we saw Mike Lowe and Gerard Carragher, you know, and, and a light come through. I don't think I've ever been as excited about the youth academy coming through. You know, we've seen like Curtis Jones, Trent. Um, I know Harvey Elliott wasn't an academy product, but he's played in the academy and the, and, and the youth, you know, the younger levels. Um, and then obviously for Kai Gordon to play the amount of minutes he did at 16 years of age, he got, you know, I think Grant Hanley put a few tackles in on him. Yeah. As he tried to take the ball around him, so to get up and, and to play the amount of minutes he did. I mean, we're talking about the starting eleven and the squad rotation, but you know the amount of stars coming through Liverpool's academy at the moment—it's it's really really exciting. Yeah, I mean the academy players being produced are very exciting, and we didn't even see all of the ones who have been highly highly rated, like um, Mateusz Musialowski, the uh, young Polish attacker. Everyone's been raving on about him. We didn't get to see him. Um, uh, Balagizi as well is supposed to be very good. Kate Gordon looked great. Um, I thought Bradley was a little... Um, he looked like an 18-year-old, you know. Um, some good touches, dumb penalty to give away. Like You could see that coming from an absolute mile away. Um, but... I think out of the three, it was Morton, the one who's had the least sort of build-up who impressed me most, just purely because he was calm. There was no rush. There was no sort of um, panic when he got on the ball, which is what you see a lot of the time when you see young lads um, come into a game like that. But there was, there was a moment, it was late in the second half, and he did this lovely little croy turn to put himself into space and then just sprayed the ball out to the wing. And I just thought, this kid's got something. He's really, he's got a calmness which belies his age. Yeah. And in terms of the cup itself, as James said, like the, the team we put out against Norwich should be enough to beat Preston. Realistically, it should. Um, whether it will, you know, we've seen better teams go out to worse teams. Um, but if we get the result that we should against Preston. We're three wins away from winning a trophy. Like at that point, you're at the, like, you know, that's the same amount of wins it takes to go from a semi-final of the Champions League to the winner. We're very close to winning a trophy there. And I think that if we get to that point in the tournament, I think we do have to start taking it seriously. And we have to think, yeah, we need to think about our resources, but you know, for the sake of three hours from Hatches, we could get our hands on a trophy, which is just a, uh, I, I think that's an equation that works itself out fairly well. And there's no guarantee that we'll come up against a, you know, a team that we have to play first team players against either. I mean, like, you know, if, if I look at the draw, Stoke City still in it. Um, QPR are playing Sunderland. Um, you know, Burnley are looking very average this season. You know, there's there's still scope for us to go through the next round if we're lucky and not have to play first team players in there. We could realistically only have to play first team players in two rounds of the tournament to win the trophy. Obviously, you know, 
it doesn't always work out like that. And even if you do come up against a weak opposition, they can perform and knock you out. Giant killings happen all the time. It's why the cup competitions are good. But yeah, I think at this stage, if we beat Preston, we have to start taking this seriously. So Liverpool's next match is away to Brentford. Um, obviously, newly promoted Brentford, their first game against Liverpool in the top flight since the 40s, which is pretty mad. Um, how have we viewed their kind of start to the season? It's been quite impressive, hasn't it, James? Yeah, it has been, I think, for, you know, we, we sat here at the beginning of the season, sort of gave our sort of opinion on Brentford and we all said the same thing. They play good football, they try and get the ball up the top as quick as they can. You know, Tony tries to play his teammates in around him. Um, and that's exactly what they've done. They look like they've just carried on from where they have been, you know, in the championship. You know, they are very impressive against Arsenal on the opening day. Um, and then a very good draw away at Aston Villa, who were flying at the moment and still flying at the moment. And, you know, a very good result against the Wolves side, who just seem to be struggling to score goals at the moment. But out of the three promoted sides that have come up, they're definitely going to be the hardest game. Yeah, I think... Um... I think they've done something which a lot of championship sides who end up going back down um, make the mistake of, is I think a lot of championship sides try to be something that doesn't fit their squads. Whereas yeah. um, Thomas Frank at Brentford, he's he's realised the best thing to do is just keep doing what has been successful in, in the championship. Like, yeah, obviously the style of play and the, um, and the players that you're playing against are going to be different, but you just play to your strengths. They haven't made you know, wholesale changes. They haven't brought in, like, massive names that you have to build the squad around. They've just supplemented um, and still had the main fulcrum of their team, Ivan Tony and Brian Burma up front. And they're just keeping that as their offensive focus and trusting in Norgard to hold down the defence. And then they've got Pontus Janssen and um, uh, Christoph Ayer at the, um, at the back. And it's just a nice little spine that they've got there. And I think I think they've done really well. And as James pointed out, they play good football. They're really fun to watch. Um, I mean, like I, I'm from their neck of the woods originally, so um, you know I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. Um, not this weekend, obviously, but um, yeah, I've been really pleased to see how well they've done. And if anyone's interested, their recruitment and how they use data and their links with Mitchelland, who we played in the Champions League are really, really prominent. And the way they do their recruitment, the way that they've sort of sold on players like Neil Mopé and Ollie Watkins, and now they've got Ivan Tony coming through as well, who I'm sure they could sell for a bigger fee than they got for either of um, Watkins or Mopé. It's just, it's a sign of a really well-run club, and I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to make their stay in the Premier League a fairly long one. Yeah, it would definitely be um, a tricky game going there under the lights on a Saturday night, I'm sure. Um, from a Liverpool perspective, there's a couple of injury concerns in that midfield. Obviously, um, we knew that Thiago had a calf problem that he went off against Crystal Palace against Jürgen Klopp since confirmed that he will miss all games before the international break, which is obviously the Brentford match, um, Porto in the Champions League in Manchester City. And, and Naby Keita's got injured um, in the Norwich game just this week as well. So we'd probably expect Curtis Jones to come in into the midfield um, against Brentford. Do we think that this maybe a little bit of lack of depth in midfield is a little bit of cause for concern over the next few weeks, James? Um, 
a little bit. I think, you know, I've got no problem with Curtis Jones coming into the team. Obviously, it was really impressive him last season when, you know, we got that run of six, seven games in the team. And he seems to have done well against AC Milan and uh, in the Carabao Cup against Norwich. He really impressed me. So, I think, you know, the games like a Brentford, um, I wouldn't mind Jones playing. But I think going into these next big games, um, I'm a little bit worried. But I, I can imagine a midfield free next week of Fabinho, Milner and Henderson, which isn't the most creative midfield. But um, but yeah, it, it is looking a bit light at the moment. You know, Chamberlain hasn't hit the ground running since his pre-season. Um, don't know if that's because of the birth of his child and he's missed a few games. It's been stop-start with the international break. Um, I'm not too sure what's going on there. But uh, yeah, like I said, I've got no problems with Curtis Jones, but Again, it's the same thing. Thiago's getting injured quite a lot and Naby's getting injured quite a lot again as well. <laughs> Naby is... Oh, poor, I, I do feel for the guy. Like Only Naby Keita could get injured by kicking the ground. Um, or Apparently, that's what happened to him anyway. Thiago with the calf injury is just... It's just bad luck. I'm not quite with all the doomsayers on, on Twitter that our midfield has been decimated when it hasn't. Um, and we still have options there. Even Minamino showed against Norwich that he can drop back in there if needed. Yeah. Um, and I think I think we'll end up seeing Jones rather than Milner against um, against Brentford as one of the eights, which I don't have too much of an issue with. I actually think the dynamic of him operating as a more advanced player off the left rather than how we've been going with our most advanced midfielder playing off the right most of the time. Um, could be a nice sort of switch up in dynamic, which could work quite nicely. Um, yeah, um, overall, it's a little bit worrying. I hope that we manage to see um, uh, at least one of Cater or Thiago by the time the Manchester City game rolls around, um, which obviously we're going to need our midfield at their peak because Manchester City have probably got man for man the best midfield in football, um, probably along with Chelsea. So yeah, it's um it's something that we're really going to have to contend with when the tough games start rolling around. But Jones, Fabinho, and Henderson should easily be a good enough midfield to control the ball well against Brentford. Yeah, there's definitely still options there, but um it is a little bit of a of a worry, I guess. And um, one other question mark about Naby Keita that's came out the last few days has been about his potential future at Liverpool. Um. There's been some speculation um, in the German publication Build that he may reject any new contract offers from Liverpool um, due to, ironically, wanting more game time. Um, what do we make of this one? I, th- I think to, uh, to demand more first-team football from Jurgen Klopp is a very, very brave sort of stance. <laughs> um, I don't know too many people who have got publicly gone against Jurgen Klopp and have come out on the on the winner's side of any argument, um, obviously we spoke about Ragnar Klavan and then James Milner didn't seem to come out on the on the winner's side of that one. So, um, yeah, if you had to ask me right now, does Naby deserve a new contract? The answer is no. He's, he's not played enough games for the fifty-two million pound that we paid for him. Um, we even paid a premium so we could get him a season later um, than what we did. So. Obviously, the club have put faith into him. They give him the number eight shirt. Obviously, hasn't been once since Gerard, so that's a big thing as well. And you know, it, it just hasn't worked out for him. And maybe he just needs a change. Maybe go you know, back to playing Germany. 
sure Leipzig are taking back after they've just lost uh, Sabitzer to Bayern Munich. They need another midfielder. So, um, yeah, I, personally, I wouldn't give him one. But again, I'm, I'm the fan who gets sucked in on the Navigator hype train in pre-season. So um, I'll probably make another unfair assessment <laughs> in the pre-season at the end of the season where I think he's going to be brilliant again. But yeah, at this moment in time, it's, it's a no. Yeah, I think it's a no from me. Unlike um, my learned friend, I've um, I've stopped getting sucked into the navigator Cruyff turn and long pass hype that we often see in um, in preseason. Uh, he's a, a very very talented footballer. I don't think we can argue with that. But the guy just can't stay fit, and even when he does get fit, he he's struggling to break into the lineup, which considering we paid 52 million quid for him is just it's just not good enough and like i understand the possibility of um you know trying to renew his contract to protect his value but it probably wouldn't go up that much anyway really um and i wouldn't mind seeing a younger midfielder like um ryan graver birch or Jude Bellium, who I brackets, I don't think will end up coming to Liverpool because we won't be able to afford him. But um, yeah, I, I think making room in the squad for a younger midfielder to come in with um, uh, Harvey Elliott looking to um, sort of create a new pair of eights moving forward, I think would be a smart thing to do. And in terms of other options for, for the Brentford game particularly, um, obviously I guess we'd expect... Um, a return to the kind of strongest 11 that we've not seen for a few games. We've had a bit of rotation in recent weeks. Obviously, the last game we were without both first-choice fullbacks. Trent obviously had um, an illness and, and Robertson was um, swapped out for Costas Timikas against Palace and, and Norwich, although Robbo got a few minutes in the second half against Norwich. Um, yeah, so I, presumably, other than that midfield, which maybe picks itself, you'd expect the, the, you know, the back four to kind of go back to that first choice um, option. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as well as Gomez and Canate did against Norwich, I, I don't think, you know, they've done enough yet to get rid of Joe Matip um, from starting alongside Van Dyke. Like you said, then Robertson's got some more minutes in his legs. Um, and Trent, yeah, was a bit of a weird one when Milne, I saw the team sheet and saw Milner right back. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's it. I think slowly, you know, we're starting to see Liverpool consistently managing to play their starting 11 week in, week out now. Um, obviously, we've got Firmino to come back. I think he's back in training this week or next. So, obviously, the front three is going to stay the same. Um, and yeah, it's just good to finally see some sort of stability in the team. But then also, when the changes have been brought in, you're not, you're not worrying. You're not thinking, oh God, this is going to be two points dropped because... I mean, Simicass has really turned things on again this up this season from, what, did he play four minutes of competitive football in the Premier League last year for Liverpool? And now all of a sudden he's, what's he got, three clean sheets and an assist. So he's not exactly, you know, he's he's sort of doing what we've seen with Klopp, with Fabinho and, and Robertson being examples of just giving players time. So, so yeah, solid back four again. Um, and then just the one change in midfield and hopefully it will be enough to get the three points. Yeah, I think um, we're coming into quite a tough period of games after this. We got Porto, we got Manchester City. Um, I think we got United not too far away as well. Um, so we we I think we need to win this and sort of go into that round of games with a bit of momentum and carry on what we've started. 
And uh, yeah, I think the strongest lineup's got to come in again. I think the only area we can maybe see a change, um, possibly with Joe Gomez or Canate next to Van Dyke, um, you know, let Matip, because Matip's played a lot of games at the start of the season. Uh, so maybe they want to rest him up a little bit and um, uh, maybe find a bit of a counter for Mbomo's pace in behind. But I said that with Lukaku and Matic played beautifully against him. So um, what do I know, really? Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, other than that, I think it will be strongest line. I'll go for the win. Um, I think Liverpool will win. Um I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of those games where I think the score, I think we could score a couple of goals, but I don't think it's going to be as comfortable as it might look on the scoreline, like, like it was against Palace. I mean, like, we won 3-0, but that was not a 3-0, very comfortable, cruisy sort of game. I, th- I think this could be quite similar. Yeah, and with, with Matic, with the games against Porto on Tuesday and then Man City next week, I mean... I think we all probably would agree at this moment in time that Matip and Van Dijk is the best part in the centre-half partnership. So you probably really want Matip against Man City. So against Brentford, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to see a Gomez or a Canate um, alongside Virgil. Um, just before we go then, obviously we've seen Canate now twice um, against Palace and Norwich. What are our first impressions? Tank. <laughs> I think that's the only way to sum them up. He's... <laughs> He's just huge, isn't he? He's a he's a huge, young, quick lad, and you know to, to get him for you know in the thirty million region, uh, just maybe a little bit more. Can't remember the exact fee. It, it, you know, it's looks promising. Two games, two clean sheets. Yes, albeit the Norwich game, you can say the reserves. He probably didn't have to do much, but you know you can only play against you know play what you're up against and. I think I was more impressed with the Crystal Palace performance. You know, you've got Wilfred Zaha, who was probably the trickiest player in the Premier League to get the ball off. Maybe him and Jack Grealish, the way they, they dribble and slightest bit of contact. And, you know, Zaha goes down. I think he's been the most fouled player for the last three years in the Premier League. So um, I think players find it hard to to, to get close to him um, because he had, you know, James Milner playing at right back, somebody who he's not played with. Um and yeah, to keep a clean sheet, it was really impressive. And I think it will it possibly won't be long until we'd see him in that first team. Um, just because, again, you have no faith in the Matip history, uh, injury history. You know, it's only a matter of time, I think, before he gets injured. Like, you know, Max said, he's played a lot of football so far. Um, so I could see him maybe starting maybe half the games this season. But again, it just depends on, on how Matip is. But yeah, I've been really impressed so far. As James says, he's just a big bastard, isn't he? He's just yeah. like, you look at him when he goes up for a corner and you just go, I wouldn't want to mark him. He's he's just a huge dude who's really fast as well. But I think something that I've noticed with him, and I suspect it's um, something they want to bring in as a massive replacement long-term, is that he's similar to Massive in the way that he loves to bring the ball out and step into midfield. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. if you look at his dribbling stats, they're, they're very, very good from his time at Leipzig. And I think that's something that Klopp really wants to use quite a lot. Like, um, if you look against Leeds in particular, John Matter was picking out the ball and he was making that trademark, you don't know how he hasn't been tackled, run um, into, <laughs> into midfield. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, I, th- I think Canate will do that. But and I think he could develop into a similar profile, a sort of ball carrying centre back to Matic, but also having that recovery pace that Matic, with the best will in the world, doesn't have. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be great to see how he develops um, in his career at Liverpool and, and over this first season. But that's it for this week, guys. So James and Max, uh, thank you for your time as always. Thank you very much for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure being back on. To, it's been about three weeks since I've spoke to you, so it's always good to see your faces. Lovely stuff. Yeah, don't think that we'll forget that you left us, abandoned us even. We were very sad. And um, yeah, I, I think it justifies the amount of crap that we uh, talked about <laughs> in the last episode. <laughs> uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, absolutely pleasure and great to have a trio back now so uh yeah always a pleasure gents yeah we lashed out a little bit but we're all friends again now um (laughs) we'll be back next week um where we will be discussing all of the latest liverpool news as always but until then if you need any more content from anfield central you can check us out on twitter which is anfield underscore central and on the website anfieldcentral.co.uk um until next week thank you for listening and goodbye